going on, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, and myself, Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code THINK to get some beetroot powder. That's what I, I just picked some up. Actually, my wife did, and uh, I'm experimenting with it now, too. She bought it. And I'm, I'm pilfering it from her. So anyway, I'm going to see what I get for NO from it. They've got a bunch of other really great supplements, protein blends, everything else. Like I said, use our code THINK. Uh, go to supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. Lots of great deals that change week to week. Strom Sports Nutrition if you're in the UK. And of course, uh, you can hire one of us for coaching if you're interested. Anyway, we got a bunch of stuff going on tonight. We've got a bunch of questions lined up. And I do have to warn you guys, Skip's in the mood. So... <laughs> There is that. I'm in a mood. There's going to be some rants. For those of you who enjoy the skip rants, I have a feeling we're going to get some rants today. I'm already holding back. I just want to <laughs> just... It's like a runaway train. Yeah. Well, we're in for a good one. That's uh, that's what we're in for. We're, we've got a topic uh, from our listener questions. Uh, this one really jumped out at us. Uh, Concrete Factory posted this literally right when we aired the last episode. So we're going to cover this as our main topic for the episode. Uh, and we're going to go beyond just like guys that are aging because he's talking about leg development and losing leg size. So this is going to be a general topic about leg growth. But to get specific to start, uh, question for the next episode Let's hear your theories on why bodybuilders start losing their legs after 40 years. Uh, why is it leg size that starts to fade first? I'm 44 and I've been training and competing for over 25 years. It's very hard to gain any leg size anymore. Truthfully, uh, even getting good pumps in legs is difficult. It's not about drugs because um, these last few years I've used PharmaGrade and it makes no difference in what I'm uh, it's in it makes no difference in what I take. Uh, it's just not happening. Best theory I've heard was that you lose insulin sensitivity first in the lower body. Um, would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Thank you. I can't go first if you're waiting for me because I could talk for All an right. hour. And All right, Scott I'll go first. hates that when I do that. <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. Um, I think a major reason for that is your spinal column is uh, pressing on the nerves. And I can, you know, speak a little bit from experience with this. Like my left calf is pretty much completely all but atrophied and hmm. from no, no injury, no tear, no anything, you know, literally it's just, and, and from working with my chiropractor, um, I can't remember exactly what nerve branch it is, but um, yeah. When, you, when you're compressing the nerves, you got to think gravity over time has played a big role on your physique. All the spinal loading you've done with squats, hack Oof. squats, deadlifts, all that stuff, you know, um, I think it really just starts to wear on the vertebrae and it's pressing on some of the nerves that run down your lower body and it's inhibiting the stimulation that you're getting, even though you're still able to do the movement, squats, leg press, lunges, et cetera. Um, I think that's the major, major driving force. Hmm. Yeah, and he, I don't think the the person who asked the question, Concrete Factory, right? Yep. Um, very cool name, by the way. But I, I don't. Think this I'm not going to go the route company. of insulin sensitivity or anything like that. Personally, I I'm right there with you, Andrew. And, and I've been training for almost what 38 years. Not only the nerve issues, but you know, repetition. Even even when your mechanics are solid, good solid form. You know, we all assume that we're all training with good mechanics, but over time, rep repetitions are just, they're degenerative anyway. If you squat, 
you know, a thousand reps versus 50,000 reps, eventually you're wearing things down. You're wearing your knees down. The lower back and, and spinal issues is, I think, number one. You're, you're, as you age, you're going to, it's the potential there for a limited, you're going to have a limited, limited range of motion, essentially, when it comes to leg training before anything else. Hmm, yeah. Lower back issues, knee issues, <clears throat> excuse me, that sort of thing. So I know what I notice with the legs, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Yes, the leg size is gone, but it tends to go around the knee first. You'll see master com, masters competitors mm. who will be in real good condition. They'll have pretty still pretty good physiques. There's a lot of really good physiques. And when I say masters, I'm not talking about 35 and over, even 40 and over. But once you get, you can see the progression. Once they get to the 50 and then the 55, they're losing the leg size closer to the knee. And in my opinion, that has a lot to do with range of motion and coming out of the hole and hacks and and they call them swing squats now, which goes against me because my thoughts on it, because I always assume that it's a, a pendulum. That's what I've always known it to be. But those types of exercises are far more difficult when you have pain in your knee. Sure. So you start wrapping. And I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say that I think wrapping the knees does not help development around the knees no. either. So, if you're younger and you're wrapping, take that into consideration because there is a limited blood flow. There's a limited range of motion. And as an example, even with my knees, I worked through that knee injury for 16 months. And one of the things I found was I thought that wrapping was going to actually help to provide support, but it was counterproductive because of the position of the, the damage with it being the articular cartilage. It, the knee wrap was making... <clears throat> It was leveraging my knee at that vulnerable position. And when I say leverage, it's almost like putting a, um, it would be analogous to putting like a, a, a tree branch, a small tree branch behind your knee and squatting down in the bottom. Once you get in that bottom position, the, the wrap gathers behind the knee oh, and that yeah. leverages the front of the knee. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And when I dropped them, is when I started making, not even knee, I couldn't even use knee sleeves because huh. again, it would gather behind the knee and I felt that in the bottom position. Hmm. So then you'd think, okay, you don't go down as low, but here's this nice little caveat. Again, I'll give my opinion based on my experience and the things that I have found in doing my due diligence, but the knee is not the most vulnerable in the bottom position okay. or the most stress on the knee. It's about two thirds or three quarters of the way to the top okay and i and oddly i almost said ironically it's not ironic i can't stand when people use the word ironic and they don't use it correctly but that knee pain that i had it would manifest right at that two-thirds to three-quarters of the way up so through my knee pain i had to stay in that especially in the early stage i had to stay below that two that top two-third and i would just do i call them piston reps where you just you don't stop it's nonstop, not fast, but you're in that bottom position. You stay in that bottom position other than taking the rack or the weight out of the rack, uh, whether it be a hack squat or a squat or whatever, and only then again to re-rack it. Hmm. 
Andrew, you had some you, good points. We talked about this before the show, <clears throat> saying that, you know, because we, we wanted to make sure we addressed everybody, all of our audience, and we were saying, well, what about the younger guys? Are there going to be younger guys that listen to this? And they're like, well, guess what? I'm not I'm not 50. I don't have to worry about this yet. And And you had some thoughts related to that. Well, it's more like my observations, like around the gym. And like when I was 18 to... I don't know, 30, I didn't own knee wraps. I didn't own knee sleeves. I, you know, actually I used a buddy's knee wraps once in a while when we're going really, really heavy on squats. Right. Yeah. Um, because we all know that you're going to get some pop out of the bottom with a little bit, with, with some knee wraps. We all know that happens. Like there's no, you can't argue and say, Oh, it's just for support or yeah. It's supporting that max poundage that you're using. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and to Skip's point that he was talking about by um, using the knee sleeves or the knee wraps and bunching up behind his knee, it's doing a lot of the work of the teardrop muscle. Like it's literally doing the majority of the work that that tear, it's make, making it easier for the tear. So the teardrop's not getting stimulated the same way it would. But getting back to the point about like younger guys in their, let's say 20 to 30, I see a lot of guys that are using um, really, you know, double plied like knee wraps, they're uh, reverse banding hack squats and squats and Smith machines. And I think they, you know, they see someone like Hunter Labrada or, a really strong and developed guy who's doing it for a very specific purpose, right? Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. He's has Mac, he has really good legs at this point. And they see what these guys are doing and they're trying to imitate and replicate it. And they're shooting themselves in the foot by holding back their leg progress. And like, for example, in my gym, I see all these high school to young college kids reverse banding with like an elite FTS, really thick white band, like one of the biggest, yeah. you know, thickest ones that they sell. And they got like two, two and a half plates on each side on the hack squat. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, that machine, if I were to take it off, that machine would almost stop halfway because the band tension is holding up the majority of that weight. Okay. So you're literally getting nothing out of the bottom out of, in, in, in the position where you want to create the most tension. Right. So I just think that using um, bands, knee wraps and all that stuff when you're a younger guy, it's absolutely holding back your leg development. And not only that, because Skip mentioned um, possibly one of the reasons for the older guys is they've squatted a thousand times. They've done a million reps of this. Well, what if you're doing the reps wrong or you're doing the reps with some type of adjustment that is making it the movement easier, that it's not stimulating the muscle, and you're doing that for 20, 30 years, okay? Yeah, well, yeah. If you start that in your teens and your 20s, you're going to hold back a lot of development that you would have otherwise been making had you just gotten under a bar or gotten on the squat, uh, the hack squat and used 50 less pounds and did quality reps and sets. Mm -hmm. I remember John Meadows doing a video about legs, about leg development, and he, he has said a term. He's like, it's an old school term. I had never heard it before. Turn up legs. <laughs> you ever hear uh, that? Yeah, turn, turn up legs. Guy, no. a guy, it, and, and he was saying turn up legs are when you have a thick leg up top, but then it gets skinny down mm -hmm. at the bottom. And he was saying the number one way to not have that is to full, squat deep or, you know, do your leg movements deep, get that full range of motion. Um mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel like I would personally agree with that. And I feel like what you guys are talking about right there, what you're saying, Andrew, you're cheating yourself out of that. If you're taking yeah. all the resistance out of the bottom and, you know, I've done like a reverse band squat and I've done it for specific reasons. Same. Like I've done it when I've had like a low back issue and I could still, I could mm -hmm. still handle it. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. for the majority of the range, but I could balance it out so that it took enough off the bottom that it didn't, it didn't stop my workout, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's definitely like, I think like learning how to use that versus 
it would be very easy to be able to throw three plus plates on the bar and throw a heavy band on the bar and then just go to town, you know, and be, yeah. and feel good about it. Hey, I just squatted three plates with a band, you know. What I think the problem is that, you know, if you go to like Elite FTS, you know, and their their website and whatnot, you see some really strong guys doing reverse band pressing. And so ah. if you're a young guy, you might think, okay, reverse banding is what I got to do. It's like, well, no, no, no. These guys already squat seven or 800 pounds raw. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like they're working on their, their max force development for a very specific reason. They're working on their speed right. basically. Right. Yeah. And so I, I just think that and maybe it's an education thing. Maybe when some of these people are using those things, they need to point out the reason exactly why. Uh-huh. And I actually point out to these kids, I'm like, Hey, so you want to, you want to, you know, change the, uh, you, you want to work on your force potential. Okay. Why don't you ban from the bottom and make it harder at the top? So you're still hmm. using the weight you would want to use, but yeah. you're, yeah. you're banning from the bottom. Why is everything ban- Why is it designed? Why are you designing it to make it easier for yourself? Yeah. And they look at me like I have four heads. Like, yeah. <laughs> then I couldn't put three plates on the hack squats. Like, right. Yeah, that's the point because you're yeah. only strong enough to do a plate and a half when it's naked. You know, um, which comes back to the methodology or our our philosophy inside of a set. And my clients will know this because I say this and I've said this for years. You don't want to make the set easier. Hmm, you want to make yeah. the set harder. And as you advance in age, again, coming back to the 40 plus ish, you yeah. want to make those sets harder without necessarily just throwing more weight on, you know, for the exercise or weight on the bar. So I'm going to come back to the word ironic because it is ironic to me that <laughs> people, because this one is at this fits, it's ironic that people use the band on say a hack squat or a reverse band on a hack yeah. squat thinking potentially, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt thinking that this is going to be easier on my knees. It's not going to be as hard on my knees when that's not the most vulnerable position for your knee provided your foot placement and everything is nope. right. And they're not too far under you. Things like that. There, there, mm-hmm. there are other variables there, but it's doing the opposite it's not and that's the definition of irony (laughs) just so that everybody knows if something is ironic it gives a different outcome than what is expected so yeah it just it's it's to me it's counterintuitive i'll give you an example though like you said you know why are you trying to make the set easier for yourself? You're trying to create more tension. You want to create more force potential. You should be trying to make the set harder. So I'm not a kid anymore. We were doing the hack squats the other day after we did um, some, uh, some, some regular squats. Now we had really shot the load in terms of our strength at that point, but we still wanted to work really hard. So we did the hack squat where we did a three second negative five second concentric. Okay. So yeah. the three-second negative on reps is hard enough, right? But I really – so we had a young guy with us um, who I, I told him I'd give him one of my sweatshirts if he could make it through a leg day. And so, you know, I was I was adding some hard shit. You know, we did we did Bulgarian <laughs> split squat drop set of death before yeah. we did the squats. And but you wanted him did, to make it though, right? You did I want wanted him to make, to make it. it yeah. And I wanted to see, you know, because he's a good kid. I noticed in the gym he works hard, and he had asked for a sweatshirt of mine. And I said, I won't sell it to you. If you can make it through a leg day on Monday with us, I'll, I'll give you one. And, Hell yeah. And That's cool, Scott, man. you did a great job, buddy. Very proud of you. Um, <laughs> Good job, but we Scott. we did move on. Yeah, I think you puked once. Um, <laughs> but we did, do, uh, we, we, we did the three-second negatives and then a five-second concentric for yeah. um, for sets of six. So, you know, each repetition is, is eight seconds or so, right? Yeah. And then we, we supersetted that with leg extensions for sets of 12 with the hard squeeze at top. And 
that just crispy fried you, right? Like yeah. three rounds of that and, and, and you're done. But my point is, is that we found a way to make the set harder rather than just thinking more and more weight, right? And, yeah. and that was the goal, especially for me because my lower back was killing me at that point. I think that's a great tool for older guys too. I, w- I was going to try to get around to that is cadence. Sorry. You know, I, yep. I work with a guy who has low back issues. We just talked about this today. Uh, he finds that for him, front squats feel better. They feel better with his back. So he does front squats and he, I had him send me some sets and I thought he was dropping down a little too fast with the weight. And he got, uh, I think it was like eight, 10 reps, something like that with the weight he was using. And I had, I had said, hey, why don't we slow this down? And I said, let's just take it to a one, two, three count. I said, just make your make it just a straight three count like that every single rep. Make sure that you ease down into the bottom and make sure you're not using momentum to pop back out. And he said, yeah, you know, I'll definitely try that, but I'll probably have to lower the weight. And I was like, that's Great. fine. You can lower the weight, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, but I, my thought was this. I said, but listen. If you it, but try to still use as much weight as you can, and mm-hmm. if you overshoot it a little bit, you're still using a weight that you could have gotten 10, 12 reps with, you know, mm-hmm. had you not slowed it down. So it's not like we're going to bury you with this at any given point. It's not like mm-hmm. you can't like it's not like it's not like we're adding another plate to each side. It's not going to be dangerous. And I do feel like as I've aged, being able to play with cadence like that has been really helpful to allow me to still push into that intensity without as much risk of blowing something out, you know? Well, using that technique that we're talking about, like three second negatives or whatever, okay, we're accepting. You're probably going to have to lower the weight 20% to match the reps you were getting, doing a faster cadence, a little bit more explosive type stuff, right? But then I tell people like the challenge is now start using those two and a half and five pound plates every week and get back to where you were. Yeah. And I guarantee there's going to be growth going from point A to B now using a much more dedicated cadence where every rep is exactly the same throughout that progress over 10, 15, whatever weeks it is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's a great tool. Got anything else to get on this one? Andrew? No, nah, not anything that's positive. So we should probably <laughs> segue into something. Else. What were you going to say, Andrew? I was going to say, I'm just reminded also, um, one of the things, because I don't know if you guys noticed, Dante's getting back to posting on Instagram about different techniques. But I remember when he posted two years ago about how he does Smith squats after he does like a 20 or 30 rep all out leg press, right? Yeah. And then he moves on to the Smith squats and he has this thing where he like lowers over five seconds to like depth, quote unquote. But then over the next three seconds, he sinks even lower to like where his hamstrings are touching his calves. Now you're absolutely accepting that you're not using the max weight you could probably use on an explosive set. But I, I actually was using that for a long time and, and got a lot out of it. Uh, you guys get what I'm saying? Like you're lowering to about where you would normally stop, yeah. but then you're just slowly over three seconds allowing the tension in your hip flexors to kind of relax so you get even lower, and then okay. you're driving out of the deep end of the hole. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you absolutely have to cut your weight down. But yeah, it's a uh, you do a set like that, and you're like, oh, wow, like that that's a range of motion. That's cool. And because we're explaining this, you know, verbally without any visual cues, anybody who listening does need to understand that, yes, going below your normal depth is fine as long as there's not a butt wink and your hips aren't turning posterior because you then you're like opening to yourself wink. wide. I do like to use that. <laughs> and one more thing is, you know, when people hear the term cadence, cadence, basically it's, it's time under tension. I mean, it is cadence, but people in the industry kind of, 
I think people relate and they understand, oh, okay, time under time under tension. Yeah. And that's something too that becomes more and more important. You made a very good point, Andrew, in the sense that if you're squatting, you know, three fifteen and you know, we see skinny I think skinny kids who are 20 years old squatting 315 for 10 reps. And if they were to slow that down with a different cadence to increase time under tension, and they were able to get 10 reps at 315 with a slower cadence, that's clearly going to contribute to hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Huge. And when I've talked about progression, to me, improving, like slowing that down, to me, that's part of progression. Like, okay, now mm-hmm. I got to 315. Now let's see if I can if I can perfect this set and really slow it down, I'll shoot a video of that and be like, okay, yeah, that was a little bit better. But next time I think I can even do better than that. Cause I was a little sloppy on those last four reps, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we anyway. just call that clean, cleaning it up. Yeah. You know, clean yeah. up, clean up those reps is a term I use to a lot of clients a lot of times. And I think they know what I mean when I say, you know, whether it's a dumbbell press or a squat or whatever, you know, when someone, it's great when someone gets to a new weight that they've never used, like let's say a dumbbell press and the weights are a little bit shaky, but they're, they got eight reps. It's like, okay, yeah. let's stay there and clean them up now you yeah. know, to where it's a, a cadence, a very, very methodical um, control of the weight. Yeah. I think that, um, that, that shows development. If you've gone from wobbly, you know, getting them up to now very particular cadence, owning very it. smooth repetition. Yeah, yeah. Owning the weight. Exactly. That's a good way to put it too. That's the term I always like using is like, you get to that point where you just own it, you know, every All right. coach has their terms, right? Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> I say meat and potatoes a lot, but I know I'm not the only one. No. All right. Uh, Kyle has one for us. He says, um, Hey, Scott, thanks for powering through in the face of all the YouTube stuff. Uh, Glad to see you guys are keeping at it. Question for Blood, Sweat, and Gear. By the way, Kyle is from Patreon, and I think this is the first thing he posted, so thank you very much for uh, contributing to the shows. He says, question for Blood, Sweat, and Gear. Uh, Everyone seems to do some kind of carb manipulation, carb cycling, while in a prep slash cut curious if the coaches carb uh cycle carbs uh during an off-season push maybe something like lower days on rest days medium days uh in high days on uh leg days something like that what do you guys think about uh how does a carb cycle work in an off-season I'm going to say that I think like I treat every program differently. I don't have like an off season carb cycle. There's some people where we might, okay, back day, you know, we're definitely going to push an extra 150 carbs or whatever it might be. And we might be using insulin on, on that day in particular, as well as some other choice compounds. But I mean, every diet in a sense is a carb cycle, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I think it's very rare when you have someone on just a static every seven days, you know, seven days a week, you're eating the exact same diet. Right. Um, but in regards to the insulin sensitivity, I don't think one day, like you're not going to lose your insulin sensitivity in one day, but I also don't think you're going to get it back in one day either. So Mm. if I'm, if I'm working on insulin sensitivity with someone, we're making some fairly drastic changes, usually not, not drastic, but you know, we're cutting food and we're probably adding cardio and might add some other supplements and, um, we're, we're, we're working on insulin sensitivity. I don't think one day a week is enough to keep someone's insulin sensitivity if it's faded. Just like I don't think one bolus meal or one huge day of carbs is going to destroy someone's insulin sensitivity either. So, Yeah, and it, your your point about every diet being some sort of carb cycling I think is true. I think, though, the question is probably being asked in in that or with the understanding that 
the high, medium, low days, and that sort of. In that sense, I'm not a carb cycle guy. But even with skip loading once a week, arguably, that's a cycle. Carb cycle. Uh, Carb intake is rarely the same, like you said, uh, for my clients, uh, non-training days versus training days. So, again, that's another carb cycle. Now, I will say that you you made a point about not keeping the diet static for training and non-training days, yet I have done that just to experiment because then that would be, in a sense, a carb cycle. It wouldn't be from week to week because it would be the same, but it would Mm -hmm. certainly be different than what I had done in the past. And it's funny because I've even had higher carb days. I've pretty much done everything. I mean, yeah. once you guys know, once you're in it long, you've pretty much looked at every method. If you, it, I think if you haven't, you're really not a, you're not a very good coach or you're not experienced enough because as a coach, you don't experiment with your clients. You experiment with yourself and you hmm. see those results. And then in speaking with the clients, I know myself, a lot of clients would be like, well, I read this in your log and this could have been years ago. Hmm. You know, I, I read this in your log and I really want to try this. And my response is, well, I don't know if it's going to work. Well, they're like, well, you're doing it. I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in a situation yeah. like that, that's a little bit different. But yep. I know I've even increased and had my higher carb days and it, it was more of a carb cycle on the rare occasions that I did it. And it and it worked really well. But I think this comes back to, or this concept comes back to the same thing as training. You can mix up and use different dieting methods, even if you don't normally use them or they don't normally work very well. You don't respond very well to just like training. Some of these things you will respond to for a short period of time, and then it may not work very well again. That's where it comes back to the more training and the more dieting that you do, you will be able to more clearly see what works for you and you tend to stay with those methods. And I think that's why in my case, skip loading, because I've done it so long, I don't want to say I've mastered it, but relatively speaking, I'm pretty sure that there aren't very many people, if anyone out there who has taken that method and knows it like the back of my hand. Andrew, you have your methods. Scott, you have your methods and you know those methods very well and how people are going to respond or the vast majority of people are going to respond so that's another, I don't want to say selling point, but it's another reason that your clients know based on your experience that when they hand off their information to you and they hand their, their progress and their results or potential results to you, they know or they have a very good idea of what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's how I would say it, too, is like, you know, let's say that you're let's say that you're in an, uh, a contest prep and you finish that and now you're going into your off season. Let me ask you guys this way. Uh, how would you, how would that then become a cycle? You know, how would that, as we began building the food up, how would that become a cycle? And, and, and I know we're cycle? Talk, yeah. It, yeah. Or, oh. you know, a calorie cycle or whatever you want to, whatever you want to use. But yeah, how, I guess I'm almost looking for an example for the audience. Okay. You know, let's say we dieted down, we're lean, uh, and, okay. and now what? You know, I'm eating more food, but okay. you, you know what I'm saying? You're saying like, do you just, okay, let's say just for, you know, just example numbers, someone's on like 300 protein, 200 carbs, 50 fats at sure. the end of their diet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Would you automatically, okay, let's double your carbs across the board every day. Would you say let's double your carbs on your training days, but keep your, your non-training days 
still at that base 200 grams like that in, in an example yeah like well, that, maybe. yeah where would it start where would it where would the, like the cycling begin would you automatically be like all right let's just add some food on your training days or is it going to be a process of you know we're going to well, first add more calories across the board and then later we may start you know cycling in some fashion I think it's like so individual because let's let's use a scenario where you literally had to like like a sponge that's already dry had to string out every last bit of that person's energy. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Feeding them nothing, right? Yeah. You, they were on protein and veggies to get to the finish line because shocker, sometimes that is what you have to do with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I get so annoyed when I see these posts from coaches that have that great genetic client that can cruise into a show on 400 grams of carbs and no cardio <laughs> meals, every no cardio <laughs> cheat meals every week, because guess what guys, that is not the vast majority of people. The majority of people right. are going to have to suffer at some point to look like they suffered on stage. That's, that's just, we're not designed. Most of us aren't designed to get that lean, you know? No, like you're forcing your body to do something it doesn't want to do. Okay. But let's say, you know, the average person, you know, you've got them in shape two weeks early and and you started the re the you know the reverse diet um in a sense leading them into the show yeah yeah i mean my first move would probably okay let's add in you know 15 to 20 percent carbs on your training days and let's still keep your non-training days where they were and we're probably going to add one free meal a week now people underestimate adding that one free free meal a week if they weren't on any free meals before you know because maybe Uh, you're doing refeeds because i like to use refeeds more than cheat meals going into a show well, now you open the the gamut up for somebody for their yeah. free meals versus a 200 or 300 gram carb refeed. You might be adding 50 grams of fat to that meal, an extra 100, you know, 50 grams of protein, whatever it might be. Right. So you got to account for that in the back of your mind of what the body's doing with those extra calories. And, and that's why I say it's so individual, because there's some people where I've had, you know, basically eating next to nothing. But we do a big weekly skip load in a sense. And that's worked. So I'm, I kind of want to add a low level of base calories, you know, to their to their diet. So they're not suffering through the week so much. But I also got to make sure I'm taking into account they're still doing that weekly, we'll call it skip load or, or you know, um, high bolus day of, of food intake. So it, it's just so into individual, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. You people want that specific. They want that specific answer, and I get that. I understand that. But it is. It's very difficult to be able to do that. You use a similar method that I do in the sense that if you're adding more calories to training days coming off a show um, and sometimes leaving the non-training days alone, remember, and this isn't to you guys, this is to the listeners, when you come off of a show, there's, you know, those first couple weeks those first two to three weeks we're sitting back as your trainer trying to see you know we're waiting for the response it's mm-hmm. more um reactive than proactive thank well, you proactive that's, that's a great sense, way to put it skip yeah, thank yeah, you it, it is, is. You, you you were reacting so we're putting in something i mean i hate to say this but it could be entirely random you could come at this a thousand different yes. ways yeah. and it's none of them are wrong where you start to get into right or wrong, and I want you to say right or wrong, efficient versus not as efficient or optimal versus not as optimal is how those adjustments are made based on how that client reacts. Yeah. So if we put in another, you know, 150 grams of carbs, arbitrary number for training days and the client doesn't gain, but maybe a pound in a week. Uh, The other thing is too, is when you start adding back carbs, what happens to hunger? It's like throwing <laughs> gas on a fire. That's exactly. It's yeah. just, 
Because so if you thought you were hungry on less calories <laughs> for the last leg of that prep, wait until yeah. you come out you come out of that prep and you start adding calories. And it seems counterintuitive, but that's the gas on the fire and the metabolism is just it wants to rock and roll. So you have to be careful. Again, it comes back to the balance. You throw in too much. And the other thing, too, that I think is important, I have to cut myself off here because I don't want to forget this. Coming back to the insulin sensitivity issue, when you come off of a situation where you're very, very lean and depleted, it takes a long time, usually, before you are you have to battle with whether your insulin sense becoming more insulin resistant and mm. versus insulin sensitivity and i always want to point out when we talk about insulin sensitivity i know i sound like a broken record to youtube because you've heard me say it a million times but there's a balance it's not one or the other you're not insulin resistant or insulin sensitive you're you're there's a ratio of two so you might be 70 30 in favor of one you might be 60 40 you might be 90 10 there's always going to be both, but it's you want to keep that ratio optimized so that you can stay far more insulin sensitive than than resistant. And it does usually take time when you're depleted. That's why people will look so great sometimes for a week or two and they think they're gaining 40 pounds of muscle. And then all of a sudden the dam breaks. And I hope YouTube doesn't get me for that one because I meant, you know, <laughs> D-A-M. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you wake up fat one morning when in reality that's not really what happened. But there's there's incremental changes that go up. They can be. You could just sometimes, if you're not sure, just grab a random number. Go mm -hmm. with, you know, like you were saying, go with 150 extra grams of carbs a day. If you were 150 pounds and you were only taking in 100 grams of carbs, that's a pretty big deal. If you mm -hmm. were at 250 then it may not be as big of a deal. You just have to play with those numbers. It's the reaction. It's how you react to the to the adjustments that you make. It's good. And I think you guys did give a great example too. I mean, uh, of course you have to see how it goes and react, but yeah. if you get past a contest prep and then you go higher on training days, plus add a cheat meal, now you've got low, medium, and high right there. Exactly. And that's technically a cycle. And I don't think we always look at it as a cycle, as a community. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't see the off season as carb cycling. We don't call it that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But technically, I guess it kind of is, right? I, I do have one couple situations where, like, for one guy who's a very hard gainer, um, you know, he's like a five, like 10, like lightweight. Okay. You know, like this hit, I have him on a thousand grams of carbs every day of the week. And the reason for that is that his non-training days, it's much easier for him to get that food in, right? He doesn't have that two hour window where he needs yeah. to have his stomach on the more empty side so he can suffer through the day. And I don't care what he eats because at this point we're on candy, we're on, we're on uh, grape juice, we're on fruits and just whatever he can fit in to match that number because everyone always thinks that like, oh, eating big is going to be so much fun until week five or six or yep. eight or 15 of that hits. And it draws to my next point that post-contest, my goal with an athlete is to make them as hungry as possible for as long as possible. Yes, like, yes. When someone eight weeks after shows like, man, I'm still starving every day. I'm like, excellent. Like, yeah. we want this. Like, it, 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 A, it tells me you're probably still very insulin sensitive if we're not already right. checking. Yep. But B, we have a lot more room to play with in the next 15, 20 weeks of your off season. And yeah. if someone's still hungry 25 weeks after a show, I feel like I've done a really good job with them. Yeah. Losing it's your funny appetite you hunger. is an in is the off season. It, it's, it's the kiss of death. You know what kiss I mean? Death, like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially yeah. as you get older. When you're a kid, you just, you know, 
shovel food, take a drink of water, shovel food, take a drink of water. As you're older, you have digestive issues. You just can't do that anymore. And you really have to time. Like I purposely get up at a certain time so I can start my eating so that I I don't have so so that I can get all my food in by the end of the day. If my training partners want to change time, it's got to coincide with my eating blocks. Right. So that because if I'm off by a half hour or 45 minutes, well, then that just messes up the whole day to, for me to get my nutrition in. Where, Like if I have to train at four o'clock normally, if they want to train at one o'clock, that's fine because that's when my other meal would have fallen, right? Yeah. And so it's easier for me to prepare in terms of, okay, I'll just swap those meals out. But if someone wanted to train on the half hour or 45 or an hour in between that, oh shit, well, what am I going to do now? Like I'm going to have a hard time getting this food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love that we're all three of us are really on – the exact same page as how that would be structured. But I would love to have like a comparison of how each of us would do it differently because it would look different. You know what I'm saying? Like my version of that off season versus each of yours, just because our experiences. I don't know that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say mine like might look basis different based off the mood I'm in that day or, yeah. or, or you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but because like Skip pointed out, it's so reactive. You try something, yeah. I'm not afraid yeah. to pull back. We've gone two weeks and I feel, oh shoot, we're going too fast. Yeah, like, absolutely. I'm not afraid to pull back and okay, we need to add cardio back in and we need to pull back on the food that I'm feeding you. Like, yep. cause again, my goal is to keep you hungry and insulin sensitive as long as possible. And if you like, catch that early enough, you can turn it around quick, you know? Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I don't think there would be, like you say, they would be different. The numbers might be a little bit different, but there will be so many. Look, when you take coaches, if you put 100 coaches in a room who have coached for a long time and coached a lot of different clients, there's going to be so many parallels in methodology and the way they come come at things, even though the numbers may not be, they may not match up and, and, you know, they're going to be close. The methodology and the way that they are approaching things is still going to be. Here's what's even more important. There's going to be logical or logic behind yeah. it. It's going to be logical. Yeah. It's going to be sensical. And I guess and that's the thing. That's, I, I would love to see each of us do it because then I just would be interested to see like, well, why did you guys do something that I Why don't you do? create you know I mean? a fictitious uh, situation <laughs> and pass yeah. it out to all three of us and then we'll yeah. each address the first two, three weeks or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll have to come up with that. I'm going to move we'll on. on the show. We covered the training. We covered the diet. What else is there to talk about in bodybuilding? Hmm. Marriage. Kyle says, uh, hey, Scott, uh, for the sh- question for the show, use that cool little emoji. Um, I uh, would think it would be cool to go over a prep without trend balloon. Um, what would it look like without trend? Thanks, guys. That's the take first thing trend. you take. Usually, it's exactly. how do I add trend? And then keep taking the normal stuff that you would be taking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take your regular cycle, pull out trend. Next Boom. Question. Done. Oh, you know, I'll give an example of this because one of my friends is a, is a pretty high level pro and uh, in the 212 class. And I can't remember exactly why he did this, but he didn't, he didn't love trend over the years. And he just decided for one of his seasons, he wasn't going to, he was going to do without it. And he was going to keep his testosterone much higher. And um, so he did, I think he, if I remember correctly, it was testosterone, Masteron and either Anavar or Winstrol. And I think those were the only 
AAS that he used, you know, along with growth hormone and, you know, other stuff like that. And it produced his best look ever. I mean, he got in the same condition. He got mm. in the same hardness. He's a hard guy anyway, but he, he had the same hardness level. Um, he probably looked a little bit fuller actually, but that could have been, you know, it had been two years since he'd been on stage and he'd put on considerable more muscle mass. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think trend's an absolute necessary. Am I ever going to compete without trend? No, um, <laughs> just because I know what it does for me and I know it, you know, how, how powerful it is as a compound. Um, but you know, I have people that, you know, a lot of times, cause let, let's say the average dose of trend is around 400 milligrams a week going into a, a contest prep. I, would you guys agree with that? It's probably pretty average hundred every yeah. other day. Yeah. Three, three to 400 for the majority of maybe, you know, your, 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 um, your regular, uh, you know, regular genetic clients, maybe not, you know, some of the pros. Cause I have seen some cycles with up to two grams of trend a week. Oh That's yeah. The G. And yeah. less, and less, right? Well, okay. So that's where I'm going with this is that, you know, I had a client who's like, Hey, I really want to use trend, but I don't have, I know I get anxiety and I don't feel great on it. Yeah. What would you suggest? And I'm like, all right, let's start out with 25 MIGs every other day. And he got harder and, you know, it, he got the effects of trend that we were looking for. And I think at most we bumped it up to 40 milligrams um, nice. every other day, which is what 120 to like 140 milligrams a week, yeah. which most people would be like, Oh, that's not even worth taking, but yeah. it produced a noticeable difference in his physique and got him in shape and, or, and didn't get him in shape. It got him to the finish line looking like he was using trend alone. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think that, I'm with you, Andrew. Look, I don't I don't ever want to do a prep. I might not even do a dramatic cutting phase that isn't doesn't have me getting on stage without trend. But it comes back to not what everyone has said on the internet and what I read in the forums and why everybody is so hooked on, but my own response to it. It's yeah. it's just so clear speaking for myself that I respond so well to it that the thought of not using it for a prep is just blasphemous. It's just not <laughs> something that I It'd be like not training like your arms consider. for a prep, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, I could do it, but I just don't know if that's the, the best option. Mm -hmm. So pulling it out, I mean, people want anxiety is a good example. <clears throat> um, then there's the thing where people see it as a very, very harsh compound and whether it is or whether it's not is an entirely different topic, but they don't want to use it because of the, you know, the potential, the, the risks or the consequences or, or side effects. Yeah. Uh, sleeping is another good example too, where it interrupts your, a lot of people think it interrupts their sleep for some, it may, but then you have the dieting and then you have all the stress of, you know, sympathetic versus parasympathetic when you're deep into a prep and, and you're always almost always on trend when you're deep into a prep anyway. So you have correlation is not always causation, exactly. which was what I was going to say too, with your buddy being, you know, he took out the trend alone and he was in great shape, but correlation isn't always causation. So, so it may be the trend, but it may also not be. It could be other factors that he wasn't he was leaner going in and the diet I would say was better, things like that. In situation, because I agree with you about the anxiety and um, deeper into prep, I think it's the diet as a whole more than mm -hmm. any compound. I think it's the stress of eating a lot less than you want for weeks, months on end, losing sleep, the sympathetic stress on your body. I think that is the cause more than any compound. Yeah. But I will say this person's also an excellent coach. You guys would know exactly what I'm talking about if I brought him up. I just didn't want to throw his name out there as – talking about his use or whatever, but yeah, um, of course 
a um, lot of great athletes that he puts on stage. He knows what he's doing and he's very introspective about his own um, self. So in his case, I would rule out the stress of prep because prep for him is like us. It's easy. It's like, gotcha. it's just what you do to get in shape and you deal with the side effects of feeling like you're hungry and feel like shit. And it's just what you do. Yeah. So do you come back to the question that the guy was asking? Let me just ask you this because I'm kind of phrasing it a different way. If you have to pull Trembolone from a prep, what do you add in place of it? Well, that's because a good I mean, let's be fair. It's not nothing you add is going to necessarily yeah. match. It, but what do you it, put in place? It's not like Anavar take... versus Winstrel. It's not like right. that situation. Yeah. It's right. not yeah. like exactly. you know Primable. Or, yeah. So, so let's I mean, say think... you want to take three injectables. You're already taking, say, testosterone and well, just Primable and as a just to throw in, and mm. you're going to take Trend. But you're not going to take trends. So what else do you take? That's a great question because, there's, there's, like you said, there's <laughs> not tough, a substitute. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I guess I would add in oral. That's um, what I've done. I've done like test uh, test mast and then yep. add like mast e for the last like eight weeks, and then maybe mm-hmm. Winstrel because I'm a, a Winnie fan uh, toward mm-hmm. the end, and it you know four six weeks something like that and of course it's not gonna give that trend effect but you know no. you, you get lean enough you're lean enough right I got, I got a shot out in left field what about maybe um i mean let's say you're throwing in the halo you know last 10 to 15 days yeah. what about adding super draw to that mix to maybe increase that hardness grainy yeah, and fullness. also that kind of fullness yeah. that you get from trend i'm now most people will just do all of those with the addition of the trend um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And I'm not going to be the one to experiment on myself to not use the trend and just do what I'm talking about. But in this situation, maybe a combination of mass, um, Winstrol, man, I hate adding this many orals, uh, Proviron, Superdrawl, or Anadrol um, going into that that final turn of the prep. In the Anadrol or Superdrawl, that's going to be the very end, right? You're not saying We're talking that. 10 days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to be hard on stage, though, when your prostate is hanging out of your trunks in the bottom mm-hmm. underneath your balls. <laughs> all those nah, everyone's just going to assume that's a butt plug because all the kids are wearing them these days. <laughs> does, does, methyl trend, does methyl trend it's count? Tail. Can we do that still or no? Methyl I think trend. it's going to have the same effect. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's an oral, though. It's okay. It's fine. You guys That's have like, death wish. Yeah. You ever get people that try to? This is off the off the cuff, but do you guys ever get people that are like, Oops. test C is so different than test E for me. Like it completely yeah. increases my anxiety, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard but, stuff like that. Uh, it, it kind of but blows. at the same time, I prefer NPP over DECA, and I can tell the difference. And well, yet, when you look at those I esters, think. yeah, but I mean, it, let's put it this way: I think most people would be surprised at how close those esters are i think most people assume that an mpp is you know so short yeah. that it's kind of like yeah. a propanate versus yeah a, okay it, so how long is it i because i have always thought it was on the shorter side it is on the it shorter is shorter side, but, it's, but but it's not but it's like long. it's not the difference between like prop and cipionate no no I've always, okay i i always thought the half-life was like compared to deca was a lot shorter it, no it it's, is it is, but it's not okay. So let's let's just put numbers. Let's say yeah. ten is Deca, yeah. Zero is like if there were a Deca probe, okay. or, or 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 better than that, like Tessipinate is a ten, Tessipinate is a ten, and Test Probe is a two. Okay, Deca is a ten. I say NPP is like a six or a seven. Okay, I'd okay. even say a five. 
Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Five, yeah. Five, six. That, I yeah. go with that then. But it yeah. ain't no two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Would you say because yeah. this probably raise questions then, and and you know this is based off of a lot of experience versus just reading a profile off the internet. Would you say you could then use NPP less frequently because a lot of times you'll hear take it every other day, you know, because it's fast acting. We, Andrew use, and I are stable, blood yeah. stabilizer kind of okay. guys, but uh, I yeah. still agree that yes, you in yes you could. I do every other day too. But, but Andrew listen, and I are going to be like, yeah, take it, take it more. If quickly. I was taking <laughs> testosterone undecanoate, okay, I would still do an every other day, <laughs> would you? every day to try to keep those blood levels <laughs> as fun. stable, especially in a contest prep. Okay, yeah. I will say I'm very different contest prep versus off season because off season I might go a week with completely forgetting to take an, a, even a TRT injection, which happens quite often. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but oh, you're not shoot. assessing your condition every other but I'm, day. Exactly. I'm not, I, you know, uh, yeah. If Let me I'm really in the bodybuilding. I got to follow up then. So, because uh, I'm with you, I'm all about keeping the hormones pretty stable, but I think there may be question as to why do you want hormone stability? Because there will be some people out there that say, ah, oh, we want to jack it up and like take, you know, one thing like, you know, all at once or something like that. Uh, that you'll get a higher spike by doing that. What would be what would be your rate, your rationale for what have you seen? Why do you want to keep it stable? You're also going to get the deepest drop by doing that. Yep. So, you know, I don't want a 1500 test one day and then, you know, a week later have a 250 uh, uh, mm. test level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because let's just say, let's just make up some BS that like 900 milligrams of test uh, in your system, 900 nanograms, I'm sorry, of test in your system as a stable level is going to keep you with um, mTOR turned on and muscle protein synthesis happening. You're going to get more if you get up to that 1500, right? But let's say when you drop below that and you're below that for more time, for longer than you are above that as time goes on, well, then you have days where you're not turning on muscle protein synthesis to the extent that that you yeah. want to have it happen. So is yeah. there anything like real, real world that would make you go that way? Or is it more just based off of like what we know about steroids? So you would assume, you know, like because my real okay, world to me I'm, is like acne, you know, like side effects. Like I feel like I get more. I still think stability is better than that's what than, I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I get yeah. where you're going. That You know, the other thing is you're going to have a higher uh, conversion to estrogen. By um, right. you know going with us with a with a bolus dose versus more stable blood levels. So, there you go. You know, so, uh, yeah. so yeah, acne, estrogen related side effects. Um, you know, also I think uh, uh, your your RBCs and metacrit. You know, um, yep. I think the higher you shoot that stuff in in those bolus doses, you're going to get more of a response negatively on your on your CBC versus a more stable blood work. I mean, there's there's research papers on it in terms of TRT usage. Hmm. So yeah. I actually the variables staying constant, I think. All right, look, if let's say this, you have a client who seems because I'm always looking for patterns. I'm sure we've talked about this before. You guys do the same thing. If variables are constant with gear, you can't necessarily eliminate the gear as an issue, but if your client realizes, gosh, yeah, it's midweek, it's late, later in the week, I'm having this happen, it's a, it's a dip in strength or a dip in their workout progress, I would directly go to the diet right away without even considering gear versus if they were hitting their bolus mm -hmm. doses 
on Mondays and they may have strong workouts. I don't know that it would be related, but if the variable is constant, I don't have mm -hmm. to question it. I'm not going to focus on it as much. Okay. That's and I'm just point. a variables guy. And anytime yeah. you change variables, you want to change as few variables as possible because you want to know what basically want to know what help to cause the change, be it negative or positive. And if you mm -hmm. got a bunch of changing variables at once, you're, you're essentially guessing you don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I no, I just ask because sometimes we'll talk to people or I know like Dave Crossland, he'll, he'll say he wants like one compound. He'll keep everything stable, but I like to have like an oral. His example might be like, take your orals all at once, once a day, take your D ball all at once versus okay. splitting it up. His thought was, okay. That, you know, and in that but situation, we have proven that we do we do not want to comment on anything. Well, I understand why you're saying well. that. Like, yeah, let's say he's yeah, trying yeah, to time right. it around the workout window to create yeah. the most anabolic. And that that makes sense. But an oral, sure. I feel, is very different than an injectable, right? Because an oral is breaking down the minute you put it in your digestive system. So well, after having those conversations, I've had people that reach out and then they start saying that they are maybe looking for hormone instability, that there's going to be benefits to that just across the board. And that's the reason I wanted to dig a little okay. bit deeper. You know, I did a consult with a guy who's working with um, a TRT company right now. And we, he just wanted to go over if he's getting the most out of his TRT. And um, here's a crazy thing, because a lot of these TRT doctors don't know a lot. And he had asked, he already knew the answer to this. And he asked the TRT doctor, he's like, so the testosterone that you're giving me that I'm taking exogenously, that is that in addition to my endogenous production, which continues, or is it just replacing and shutting off my natural? And the doctor's like, oh yeah, no, it's in addition to like that. That's why you're so high in your blood levels. And so he's like, really? Huh, wow. Okay. So this is a TRT doctor that was, yeah. was telling him this. And the other three thing was he, the doctor wanted him to take his testosterone once every 12 days. And I was like, dude, I was like, look at your labs. Cause he, he, he this is a smart guy. He got his labs done the day after taking his shots and he got his labs done the day before he's going to take his next one. And yeah. the disparity was about 800 nanograms. Dang. Yeah. I'm like, so th there's a reason right there that why you want to keep okay. more stable. You're in a more anabolic state for three, four days, and then you got six, eight days of a less than ideal anabolic state. Yeah, yeah, man. I still my family doctor. She she does every two weeks is what she wants people to do, and yeah. I've talked to her. I've shown her some literature and stuff, but I you know I don't get in the middle of it. So yeah, of course I don't get my test from her anyway. But there's yeah. that. We got time for one more. I got one from uh, <coughs> Damon. Also, he's a client of mine actually, and he is. Uh, also part of the Patreon. I sent this over at Patreon. Nice. It says, for BSG, he says, uh, does having multiple injuries at the same time increase overall difficulty, uh, inflammation, uh, in overall difficulty, inflammation in the body? I read that as, a, does it increase overall inflammation? In yeah, the body? right. Yeah, me too. Right. Well, unless you okay, like, not lost... Yeah, unless you like lost a limb, so there's nothing to be inflamed, then absolutely. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. right? Like, I mean, yeah. well, imagine this. Okay, your knees hurt. Okay, and you have IBS. Those are two, you know, injuries, quote unquote. I mean, one's a disease state, but they're both they're both creating inflammation and stress on your body. So absolutely. So the same thing if you have an injury in your back and an injury in your shoulder at the same time, you're absolutely increasing inflammation in your body. Yeah, I would agree with that. Wait, wait, hold on a second. What if you did have your leg amputated at the knee? <laughs> I'd wonder 
if the body would see that or how well obviously it would during the healing process but once it's healed would there still be signs of inflammation would the body fight to like nerve well, in the repair issues? process they have yes, both yes, nerves yes. and things in like, the repair but process, i mean after yes. the repair after the repair process like you a probably, year later? The, the, the body still senses nerves. They have phantom nerve pain. You have to, I'm uh, just thinking out loud. This may sound yeah. a little silly, but because you use that as an example, I just wonder, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if inflammation, I wonder if the body fights that there's not. All right, what about this? What about this? Someone who who has um, Crohn's or has ulcerative colitis and has to remove seven inches of their intestines. Ooh. Is, yeah, that, is the, the phantom tissue inflamed still? Well, it's not mm-hmm. there. I don't think. I mean, if you have ulcerative colitis or you have a, a you know a bowel disease, you probably have it in other places as well. But um, I would say you remove that inflammatory tissue, yeah. so you're lowering. But in in your in your case, I don't know the. I don't know. Someone is listening right now. At least one person are like, he is just not very bright, and <laughs> and and they're talking about me. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and Damon's at home now, thinking about getting some uh, limbs amputated. Now, exactly, <laughs> decrease inflammation. Yeah. All right. I will well, say we- this on your injuries. You know, um, yep. even if it means you got to stop training 100 percent for a while, do what it takes. I mean, Skip went through this with his legs, mm-hmm. and yep. you got to do what it takes to repair yourself so that you can train optimally again. Or maybe you're never going to get back to optimal. I don't want to be a downer, but you got to find ways to work around it. But I think you know, as we get older, a lot of guys they typically they're like, oh, I just won't do that exercise anymore, or I won't, um, you know, I, I won't stimulate that tissue the same way I used to. It's like, well, why don't you figure out a way to try to work through that issue? Like I've been spending months and months and months on my shoulders. They've lost size because I can't do the same things, but you better believe I'm spending 20 minutes a day doing the exercises my PT has, has, has prescribed me to sure. do. In the effort. Yeah, yeah. And, Does this, and any of this sound familiar, Damon? Mobility back. Any of this sound Maybe. familiar, Damon? I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's, it's, the been, same thing, so. it's been cool. He's had like some, it's been really exciting to work with him because he's, a guy about our age and uh he's got a like a physical job he's in good shape and when we started working together we started growing and and he started getting really progressive with his lifts and uh then he had an issue not bodybuilding related but it, it forced him to stop and and it just kind of things kind of tumbled from there and he can't train as progressively so it's been cool because first we saw that and he, he got really excited. And then when you can't do the thing that you're excited about anymore, it's depressing. Right. But mm-hmm. then we kind of, we, we, I, what I told him was like, Hey, there's still a lot of ways that we can have that same amount of fun in the gym without that, you know? And, mm-hmm. and since then it's like, he's, he's gotten it back and he's gotten into really good shape and uh, it, you know, you can still stay excited. And I think that's the key. You might not still be able to do things the way you've always done them, but yep. you can still have a passion for bodybuilding. You can still love it and still be a part of it. And, and just, but it, it comes down to like you were saying, Skip, like looking at how you need to do things differently. Or maybe you were saying that. Oh, Andrew. sure. Yeah. But even eight or 10 weeks of, of having to change something because you can't train a muscle the same way is way better than it turning into eight to 10 or 12 months. Yeah. And tendonitis is, sure. Tendonitis is so, we tend to just blow it off. I do. Yeah. I mean, we all do because, and and yet logic tells us this is not going to get better. It's just getting through. It's like we're in the moment. Oh, I got through. It was a good workout once I warmed up. 
Well, anything yeah. <laughs> that's inflamed once it's warm is going to feel a whole lot better and you're going to get through it. It's when you cool down again and you just reach for a cup. You pick up a cup and your tennis elbow is so bad that you, you can't do the most basic thing outside of the gym. But when you go in the gym and you warm up, you're like, oh, I was able to train chest and tries. <laughs> it's, it's the way we do things and the way that we – we we are so logical and, and structured in the way that we approach the the way that we set up things, our training, our diet, and everything else, and yet we'll just kind of set it to the side because sometimes because we just we have to get through. We yeah. have to do these specific exercises because if we don't, we're not going to get huge. It's, it's, Would we say that's dog dogmatic? Oh yes, hmm? sure. Use that word yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the time we've got on this episode. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Guys, if you want to go hang out and work with uh, Andrew, you can reach out to him at bodyberry.com. Reach out to Skip, teamskip.com, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. You can hit me up over there. Uh, you'll you'll be catching this in time. Uh, I want you to specifically tune in on Monday because uh, I'm going to be in Vancouver uh, I'll be recording with, uh, uh, J- excuse me, Ron and Dusty. We're going to be at West Coast Iron. So uh, I'd love to have you guys there. Time to be announced, but that's going to be uh, Monday, probably like late morning, early afternoon. Uh, of course, go to our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, Strong Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. And of course, thank you to everybody at Patreon. If we didn't get to your questions on this episode, we'll catch you the next time. And if you'd uh, like to take part in the next episode, then comment below. All right, guys, we'll see you soon.